Just a few film nerds breaking out of a rut Drooling over cinema that's hard and uncut Stick us in your ear, thrill to this month's picks And come and listen in, we're Measuring Flicks Hello everyone, welcome to a very special Measuring Flicks I'm Carl Hartley And I'm Max Peterson And we are joined in our two separate studios I mean, actually, Carl, you're not, you're not joined Yeah, three separate studios um, we are joined by a special guest and uh, consulting witch, my beautiful wife, Bird. Bird, say hello. Hello. And over in um, FZK Quarantine Zone, uh, Bay, uh, Oximal Prime, we have <laughs> we have the uh, the lovely, the inimitable Danielle Hartelli. Uh, say hello. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> hello. Uh, just cue the calliope behind that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so here's how we're doing this today. We're gonna, it's, it's all business, folks. We're going to thank the people who make our business keep businessing. Um, we want to thank all of our patrons. Measuring Flicks is a listener-supported podcast. If you want to learn more about that, you can head on over to patreon.com slash quillandfilm, Q-U-I-L-L-A-N-D-F-I-L-M. Right now, um, actually, if you just want to hear all the fun bonus content we have over there, which is full-length bonus episodes. We are do we do special series over there. We're doing one right now called When Harry Met Michael, where we do all of the Halloween movies and all of the Harry Potter movies back and forth, which gives them kind of an interesting, gives each of them a little bit of a, an interesting patina. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you get shout-outs on the show, and shout-outs on the show sound a little something like this. We would like to thank Brian Jackson, Connor Sweeney. I texted Connor this morning about Midsummer. He's got some. He's got some <laughs> uh, opinions. And he hasn't uh, even sure. seen the movie. Um, uh, we'd like to. Th- I have, we'll talk about that as well, probably in the opening, just because I know he'll <laughs> he'll appreciate our talking about him when he can't defend himself. Um, <laughs> Daniele Harte. Uh, no, actually, Daniele Hartelli's in the studio with us. We'd like to thank Danielle Hartley, uh, David Rowney, Jeffrey Morgan, Casey Shiby, Kelly and Mike Wagner, K Ram, the Kev, Kev Man, Kevin Ramirez, Sister Sarah Hartley. Uh, William Rockwood, um, Cynthia Van Mayenen, and uh, patron, uh, newest patron, patron from far off, far away, um, but close to us in our hearts, Cassandra. Um, if you want to drop us a line about anything we say in this episode, and I'm sure you guys are mm-hmm. going to have stuff to say. Um, this one's going to open up some cans of worms. Don't bottle it up. Let us know, man. <laughs> Send us a, drop us a line at measuringflixpodcast at gmail.com. Ladies and gentlemen, today we are sitting down for part one. We've already established it's going to be a multi-part episode released in multiple parts because we're, for various reasons, we're going to record it kind of in a a fragmentary way. But today we are beginning our discussion on 2019's Midsummer, directed by Ari Aster, cinematography by Pavel, uh, oh my god, I gotta nail this dude's name because he nails this movie, Mm. Pogorzelski. Pavel Pogorzelski is the same cinematographer from, her, from Hereditary. So these these guys are working together, and may they work a thousand years together. Um, this film stars Florence Pugh, Will Poulter, Jack Rayner, Isabel Grill, Bjorn Andresen, uh, Wilhelm Blomgren, and William Jackson Harper. And a b- bunch of other people. It's got a very big cast. Let's uh, Let's get into... Midsummer. Spoilers and spoilers. Oh, we should Go do watch that. This fucking movie. Yes. If you have, 
Thank- our, one, our conversation is not going to make any sense at all. That's true. If you haven't seen this. More so than other conversations. I feel like a lot of the of the episodes in our canon, right. uh, you can listen to without having seen the movie for the most part. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It'll inform your, your viewing experience the other way around. With something like Midsummer and Hereditary, I I feel it's it's essential that the film be watched prior to. I absolutely uh, agree for for many different reasons one of the reasons is this script i texted this to connor this morning so this morning i texted connor and i said connor i've now seen midsummer five times over the course of about a month and a half so i'm out of the honeymoon period i've watched lots of other shit i've come back to midsummer i've sat with it i've gone away from it for weeks i still believe that this is and i i still stand by this after almost two months and five watchings i think this is the best film ever made for me for my personal taste, for my filmic sensibilities, I know there's lots of people who are like, well, well, there's no car chases in it, but I'm telling you. In my opinion, having watched just watched movies for this show with a critical eye for like three years now, which I know is not very long, but still, I honestly believe this is the best film ever made and easily the best film I've ever seen. It's mm-hmm. unreal. And one of the reasons I think that is this script. So I texted Connor that, and I was like, look, man, I know you don't watch shit like this. You don't watch upsetting, disturbing stuff. And that, I think that's good. If you don't think yeah. you can have that stuff in your brain, don't put that stuff in your brain. But I And I, I plead with you now on the podcast as well, Connor. If you're ever going to watch one movie that will probably upset you, I'll be real. It'll, it's disturbing. It's a disturbing film. But if you can make one exception in your life and never watch anything bad ever again, just watch rom-coms and fucking Moonstruck on repeat, I'm co- totally cool with it. But if you make one exception, please, please make that exception Midsummer. This movie's fucking flawless, top to bottom. It's wild that the man that brought us Mandy doesn't like disturbing horror movies. Yeah, he's the yeah, dude who... If he can do Mandy, he can do this. And, you know, I'm not one for disturbing movies either. You guys know I'm very newly into into horror films, into right. films like this, which are disturbing. But this is amazing. And I have not stopped thinking about it in the many weeks that we had watched it. And, Connor, if you're listening, you can handle this. You can absolutely handle this if I can. I don't even know if I would personally call this a horror film. It's, it's a, not. I think it is. Ari, call, Ari calls it a folk horror film. From like from his, mm-hmm. I watched. I love so that many description. With him. Yeah, it's folk, folk horror. Thriller. He wanted to. He wanted to make Wicker Man. He wanted to. Yes. That was the thing that he wanted to do. Was this weird fucking Wicker Man, the villagey kind of thing? Modern mythology and, <laughs> and make people know what it feels like to be wooed by a cult. Like, this is like. Oh my god! This is. I was. I was telling it. Well, was, actually, it's a breakup story. He was he wanted to tell a fucking folk horror to break up. That's story. what I've read. Yeah, because he had just broken up with his girlfriend. He and wanted to write a fucking breakup. I love story. kills her. I love how he says shit like this because he with Hereditary he described that as a family drama. He said yep. Hereditary yep. was a family drama and Midsummer was. Yeah, and I, I saw an article with him where the headline was like, "Come check out Midsummer, Ari Aster's summer breakup film." Like, that's how he yep. describes this yep. movie as his breakup film. And then you watch it and you're like, oh, man, see, you're trolling because you just made maybe the greatest film any human has ever fucking committed to film. And you called it your summer breakout breakup film. Like, what yeah. a what a great move, man. Like, but it's, it's also not not that <laughs> he's not wrong. It is also that, you know, like it is also a summer breakup film. 
But Jesus Christ. Okay, so we're we're saying I'm and again, let's let's all just agree if you have don't don't listen to this if you haven't seen it. You have to watch it. There's psychological effects in here and I'll talk about them. There are absolutely brilliant psychological effects. It's like brain games almost. It really is. There's there's stuff in here that Sister in the Forest is one of the most shocking to me. The what? When when she gets oh, uh, crowned May Queen, right? Yeah, and they're they're marching her down the field, and in the background, in the trees, the entire tree line is her sister's face with the hose and vomit coming out of her mouth, right. made up of, of the trees, leaves of the trees. Yeah, shit. Yeah, Did I not see that. <clears throat> yeah, and it's like huge. It's the entire it's, background. It's yeah, it's incredible when you notice it. The the most disturbing thing I had ever seen. Spoiler, 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 story. spoiler, spoilers. All right, continue. Right. <laughs> we did it at the top. <laughs> I know, but you, I want to hammer it home, man. It's fucking important. The most disturbing, and this is still like disturbing me when I think about it. I'm probably going to have weird dreams about it again because I'm talking about it sure, again. Sure, sure. The most disturbing thing I've ever seen in any film was in right before the opening title scene where you get the image of what the sister did and how the sister died, like her still body with the hose in her mouth. Yep. I can't get that image out of my head. And it's probably one of the scariest things I've seen. Yeah. In yeah. A movie. It's it's utterly and it shocking. Was the scariest part of the movie for me. I think so too. For for me, the these the like psychological effects that I'm talking about are not the big high points. It's subtle stuff. Like the thing for me is when they we walk past the tapestry and it says, "Oh, it's a, a little love story," and you view it from right to left. The first two times I saw this movie, which was by the way, I watched the first two times I saw this movie. That was the same day. I watched it twice in one day, which is like six, almost six hours of watching the yeah, same film. Yeah, more than half, that's almost half of your waking Yeah, day. most of the time I was awake, I was watching Midsummer the first time I saw it. So it's when we're panning from right to left, and I, Bird brought it up last night, and I was so glad that it worked for her too, kind of, which is when it pans right to left, your brain, because we're all Westerners, immediately try to read it left to right. So you hold the right image in your head and then you try and reverse and then you try and do three backwards and you get overwhelmed and then you're not paying attention enough oh, and I you miss it. it all. Did you read it right to I, left? I've been reading nothing read but manga it for the last like, six months, so I was reading it. Right. I, I did not. The first time I saw it, I was trying to put it back because I've been reading a lot of American comics, The Invisibles. Yeah. So I'm reading left to right. The panels. Yep. I'm reading panels left to right, and here are a bunch of panels scrolling across the screen. And I'm trying to reorder them in my head, and the I, I f- this is this I know this is going to sound like I'm talking about like some strange, weird, deep note in wine, but I genuinely felt that the the like confusion created by that shot, the cognitive dissonance of trying to read something that's scrolling in a counterintuitive way with images that don't seem to make linear sense even when you do read them right to left, which is how you're supposed to read them, that feeling of cognitive dissonance, of not being able to translate what was coming into my eyes, just that feeling itself was so pleasurable that I almost cried at its brilliance. Mm -hmm. So, like, that is the type of shit I'm talking about, where it's just a throw... It's not a throwaway. It's it's actually... No, not even. It explains the entire subplot all in one scroll. Yeah. The, yeah, all that he whole explains the movie to us, and we didn't even realize. Well, we don't. We didn't talk about it. But the the first thing you see that that four panel. It's not a triptych because there's four, but it's it's kind of reminiscent of Bosch's 
um, the Garden of Earthly Delights. Well, that's a very mm-hmm. famous traditional style for that's what iconography. I'm s- yeah, that's what I'm saying. But like, but anybody who's seen the Garden of Earthly Delights, you're opening with a sort of visual echo of one man's interpretation of earth heaven and hell but you're doing it with seasons and when you look at it even though the images are like traditional folkloric images that four panel what's it called it's not a bass it's not that's not right but that that four panel painting is the entire plot of the film they're like very specific beats too i mean there's a lot crammed into that like four panel piece. if you there's four I, I i'm just doing this from my head so i might be wrong about some of the details but like the gist of that of winter that first panel is there are four people and there's tubes going into the mouths of three of them but not the fourth and the fourth is the only figure that trans that goes into the next panel and that's how the her family all dies the first three of them they all die with like that those tubes one of them goes directly into the mouth and the other go near the head which is that's it's literally showing you a f- folkloric image of her parents suicide one of the most yeah. interesting see that and one oh of my, my God. one of my favorite things about that opening painting and especially when you start seeing stuff like uh throughout the movie when pele says he's looking around the group of friends and he's like yeah it's going to be so great and he looks directly at um, what's the main character's name? The girl, Danny. Danny. He looks directly at Danny and said, "When they're she's asking, like, oh yeah, all, all of you? Yeah, we were thinking about it." And he looks at directly at her, um, and says, "Like, yeah, all of you are coming." Looking straight at Danny. Mm-hmm. When Danny first meets the, like the 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 head of the village, and he's looking around at all the friends, he's like, "I'm so happy! I'm so happy! Yes!" And he looks directly after he hugs Danny. He goes, "Welcome home." I'm so happy you're here to Danny. So like everyone in that village knows that Danny is coming to that village before Danny even knows she's coming to that village. So part of my theory about this movie is that Pele engineered the death of her family. I had that same Mm. thought so that she would be in an emotionally weak spot. We find out remember later on when her shitty boyfriend is like, Oh, by the way, you guys told me to invite her. It was your idea and you're all cool with it. The only person who responds to that is Pele, and he says, yep, okay, because Pele, in my head, did ask the boyfriend to ask Danny along. He was like... Or sort of manipulated things along manipulated the line, so did the very, boyfriend. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, sh- sure. Like, why don't you bring her along? She would love it, or in some sort of way that doesn't seem... Right, he didn't, like, straight up say, like, straight why up, don't you he, ask right, her? Right, 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 right. Pe- and that's... Pele, we'll never know that conversation, which is part of the whole... Right. The, the, the room for what is true and what is not is so yeah. amazing. And leaving it up to our imagination, I'm just curious to see what 40 more minutes of this movie looks like when we finally talk yes. about the director's cut sometime. You know, like, there's Ari Aster released a director's cut that's 40 minutes longer than this. Oh, man. Like, yeah. this movie, felt every time I watch this, it's 2 hours 27, the theatrical cut. And I'm like, I could easily watch 40 more minutes of this. I could, yes. without us, without even blinking, I could watch 40 more minutes of yes. this. No fucking yes. problem. Um, the other, there's more stuff. Like at the beginning, when the the friends are all sitting around the table, right before Danny calls, what's the boyfriend's name? Christian. Christian. See, this Christian. is why we like having Danielle on the show. She's got everyone's <laughs> names like a Rolodex. Why did I think it was Seth? 
<laughs> Akeem looks like a Seth. He's an ass. <laughs> we love you, all, all, all Seth, Seth. All Seth all, listeners. All you, all you Seth Green, Seth Rogen, Seth Myers. We love you. There's all. actually a shitload of really Seth. awesome Seths. Why are we pissing? Yeah, actually, like that's not a dick name, as far as I know now. So I love I when like when Seth and Co. No, I'm kidding. When Christian and everyone's sitting in the bar, um, I think it's really interesting that. Uh, the, the like douchey friend is like Dude you could be getting that girl pregnant And Pele says and think of all the Swedish women That you can get be getting pregnant in June Yeah That is literally the reason that he So he already knows that this whole friend group's going Christian's going And Christian is going He's already because he's the one who did the legwork How did the female head of the village Know that Christian is a perfect astrological match For that girl Because Pele did the legwork Pele did the work so, Well that's why Pele is in that friend group Specifically, he sought that friend group out and orchestrated oh, yeah. that. And groomed He's, them. He sought out and gathered the people that he needed. Right, right, exactly. And it's how many are there? There, there are five that go in total, including Pele. Right. It's Pele. Pele, um, douchebag friend. <laughs> oh, he's awful. Oh, the uh, the fool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So then you have well, the, I think the Danny. I think. Yeah, I think so. So Danny, and we don't count Pele because he's not given as an offering. Hey, no, so, no, no. so it's four and four, and then the last sacrifice is either the who's the ninth? Is it because there's four from the village, and then yeah, the the two the two other yeah the two other from friends London. oh and the two well, from the London one, the the from from the UK or whatever yeah. right the, and there's eight and the boyfriend makes nine yeah right okay so. Yeah, that this that's just amazing. Knowing watching this movie again and again and again. There's this great moment where Pele holds his hand out to to Danny as sort of like a, it's when they I think when they first arrive at um that field where they all do mushrooms for the first time. It's either him or the brother that holds his hand out. Oh, it's the brother. It's it's the guy who like yells and he and Pele hug in the field. The guy who ultimately ends up um, being sacrificed at the end mm-hmm. in the sacrificial place. When he goes through the names, which he already knows by rote, basically, right? He goes, "Oh, so let me get these names straight. It's uh, uh, Christian, douchebag friend, Seth Myers, and uh, and then he gets <laughs> he gets back to Danny and he's just pointing at them all. But when he gets to Danny, he opens his hand and." T- uh, Brings his head down As though he's bowing in supplication Before the queen Uh. When Pele Gives the drawing to Danny On her birthday she's wearing the May Queen's um, She's already wearing the May Queen's uh, Like diadem and Even oh my god dude there's so I have Like a hundred thousand fucking million notes The first note I looked at was I'm gonna ease Off notes 15 minutes of this movie has taken an hour because the first time I watched it, I took notes for an hour on the first 15 minutes. Oh my god! <laughs> so I don't have it exactly. I don't have it directly in front of me, which is kind of bumming me out. And I'll I'll hit it later. But there are also runes on the bottom of that drawing, right? And they are both. Air, I'm going to air quotes this. Both air quotes incorrect. But I don't think they're actually. I love your Beetlejuice shirt. I just noticed it. Sorry. Oh, oh nice. I've been checking yeah. it out. <laughs> Bio Exorcist. My bad. Um, so there, <laughs> there are runes on the bottom of that drawing, and they're both air quotes wrong. One of them is reversed, and one of them is tipped on its side. And I thought about a, for a long time because Ari Aster does not make mistakes like that, which means it's not a mistake. Which means it's my job to figure out what that means and why he did that. And I figured out the reason that both runes are different than they normally appear is so that you 
become aware if you're really looking carefully that it's not a mistake because he did it two times and both of those runes appear elsewhere in the movie in their proper orientations when we get to that note i can walk through what i think my read of those runes are but he essentially when pele does that drawing and gives it to her that's low grade magic because what do we find out about when the kids are at school and they carve rune stones they put them under their pillow Mm-hmm. So he's putting runes on drawings that he's giving to Danny. He's basically made a sigil. I want Danny to be the May Queen. Here's my runes. I give her this powerful gift. It's amazing. Like all the way through this fucking movie, it's amazing. There's this great moment at the end during the. It's not actually a Maypole dance. Bird pointed this out because that's typically done in the spring. Right. So this would be a different. But it's the same idea of that like Maypole dance. When they call the beginning and they she claps her hands and the band strikes up. All of the girls bow forward. Except for her. Except for Danny. They yeah. all bow. Before the dance even begins, the girls all bow to the May Queen. Bow to the May Queen, yep. This whole movie, this whole fucking movie for two hours and 27 minutes, everything I just said is 20 seconds of screen time. This, yeah. This whole two hours and 27 minute film is nothing but fucking that for two hours and 27 minutes, where everything you're seeing on screen is just... Numinous and rich with meaning. It's Everything matters. Every this is the thing that I just take away from this is there's not a frame that doesn't matter. Uh, okay, really. Everything quick. is important, and it's yes. that's incredible to me to sustain that for two hours twenty. Yeah, nonstop. I, Unbelievable. Nonstop. I told Carl when I was watching it, I didn't feel like I was watching a movie that I was, I was a part of this ritual that I was a part of this it was and there are some plays that i've seen some other not too many movies but a lot of plays where i'm so tuned in and i'm so enthralled and the acting doesn't seem like acting you just seem like it seems like you're watching the actual thing happen which was another very magical kind of moment for me watching this i could i couldn't believe just how how tuned in i was and how real it felt and even like there were moments where um i had to move up closer to the tv to read uh, to look at some of the um like in, uh, where, where everybody slept in the, the bunkhouse <laughs> right are covered yes. with scenes with 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 runes and with scenes and i went up so close to the tv so i could look at all of them closely and be like he's he's he just like with that with that banner or or whatever it's called going left to right telling us the plot of the movie right the same thing happened with the the art in um in that giant house where everybody slept too you saw what was going to happen right yeah their stories are on the walls behind them yeah Yeah. (laughs) it was incredible it was just so fucking watch this movie people yeah (laughs) <laughs> Definitely, like I'm telling you, any, I, I honestly think I, I, and I'm. This is gonna sound crazy, especially in 2020, where everyone's like really got the the guard up and everyone's taking care of themselves and taking care of their feelings. And I get it, I get it, like totally. This is a fucked up time. I honestly think that even if you don't think you can handle this movie, even if you think this movie is too fucking much for you, this experience is worth the trauma. I swear to God, mm-hmm. like the, you're going to like if you're really not ready for this movie, you probably have nightmares. It's going to fuck with you a little bit. I think it's worth being disturbed to the level this movie will disturb you to experience this movie. I genuinely believe that. Like this is I do too. 
I I like that you said like it doesn't feel like a movie. It really isn't. It's like a life experience. We we did a little brief Patreon thing before this, which you can go and listen to, where we talked about ritual magic, and we talked specifically about a magical ritual that Carl and Bert and I did after my first watching of Midsummer. And you can go and listen to that over there. Uh, I don't know what I'll call it. Probably like behind the scenes magic talk. Um, but <laughs> the second half, the, the final stage, I said there was three stages to the ritual. The final stage of the ritual after Carl and Bird left is I rolled a joint and I sat in the backyard dressed in garb that to me was very evocative of Odin because I wanted to do... A traditional Nordic style ritual which usually involves trial um, especially because oh I like that you muted your microphone when you took a bite that's awesome okay um <laughs> sorry I just saw it pop up and I was like oh shit we have a technical error but you're smart is what it is <laughs> um, smarter than you I know all the time I'm on here just like Doritos <laughs> being like Carl wasn't it beautiful film Carl's, eat, Carl's eating bananas on Mike <laughs> Oh, that was the worst. No. That was the worst thing you've ever done. It was horrible. Um, beans. But I, so I sat in the back. I sat in the backyard and I meditated at the the base of the tree in my backyard. Um, do, you know, and in a very meaningful way. So normally when I smoke weed, I I smoke weed and watch movies a lot because that's fucking fun. It's super fun. Mm-hmm. And like my tolerance level, I can take about like four hits. If I take about four hits off a joint, I'm pretty good. So when I sat in the backyard, I wanted to end with a trial and watching midsummer just straight sober is a fucking trial so i was like all right here's what i'm gonna do i'm going to get very intentionally out of my head and i'm gonna force myself to watch midsummer without pausing stopping blinking turning away from it the whole way through in that state and see how i do so i sat in the bed and not not see how i do but get through it no matter what because it's a trial it, yeah. so i sat down and i took because nine is the number of and i took nine hits about tw- a little more than twice as much weed as i'd normally spoke i got completely out of my face and i sat down on the floor in my ritual garb and uh that got uncomfortable really quick so i like got up on the couch but i was still like you know cross-legged and and absorbing what i was watching and i watched midsummer on my laptop because you were still awake um, I watched Midsummer on my laptop, and then when Bird went to bed, I switched it to the big screen and plugged my headphones into that um, to my system, and I watched Midsummer all the way through, like f- very frighteningly high, and it was a profound experience. Profound. If you've watched it once and you are and you smoke weed, I maybe don't do as much as I did because that got kind of wild, but uh, it boy howdy. It is. It's an experience, man. It's amazing. Sorry, my my uh, thing was bumping. So yeah, so that was that was the the state in which I watched this the second time through, and it did a little. If it, it kind of felt like at any moment I was going to do psychic damage to me. You know, you're watching it, and you're like, this is gonna mm-hmm. mess me up. This is gonna cause some like irreversible mental trauma. And at the end of the movie, of course, you know, funny games. I've watched a lot of shit. But uh, at the yeah. end of it, like, the fact that it didn't, the fact that I had, like, weathered it and that I was covered in tears and, like, blood and <laughs> stuff on my couch, it it really, like, cemented this movie in my soul in a really strange way that no film ever has. So I don't, yeah, I, I like that. It's not a movie. It's a, this is, like, a life experience that you go through. It's amazing. It's an it's absolutely amazing film. I definitely feel that that was intentional too. I said a few times while we were watching it that it felt as though you were watching a dream. You know, that's yeah. kind of weird. Pers- Come talking, on, man. It's fine. Just run through it. <laughs> 
where um this is too tight is what it is. Okay. Um there you go. Uh, like where you uh view yourself from above, that sort of view in a dream or where you are flying or floating or like things are upside down. Mm-hmm. It definitely felt or you're walking behind yourself. It definitely had the it is a dream feeling and 100% intentional. Right. Well, uh, it says a lot to the acting, I think, to to be that conversational and have it be as natural as it would. Uh, I mean, that's it was it was just the acting was so good. The, it was so good. The casting was absolutely incredible to in, in working with them to make it so real. It, it just bravo, bravo to them. Right. It was just, it was just astounding to watch. Um, Bird pointed out last night, which I really love. Um, we start with as speaking of like just immersive acting, like acting. This is these are performances, and I love the word natural too. Like naturalistic, the deliveries are. No one in this movie reads a line. Everyone says no. thoughts off the top of their head. Like that's how everything mm-hmm. reads. We talk a lot about like powerhouse performances, and that's usually like one person just shining, right? Like when yeah. we talk about Tom Hardy, it's hard to be in a movie with Tom Hardy because he's just so fucking good that you're gonna be like, "Oh, you did a great job, dude!" Wasn't Tom Hardy amazing? Yeah, he's just peeing in corners and like fucking owning everything. Right, like he's he's in a movie with Gary Oldman, and you like forget Gary Oldman's in Dark Knight Rises because Tom Hardy is just the he's the king on his throne. But this movie is a different kind of powerhouse performance and it's very fitting too because this is a movie about a society that really acts more like a hive an interrelated group of hive-minded individuals in a way and this all of the performances are like that there is no weak link everything you see is so real and honest and it's actually difficult to step out of it enough to admire the performance you know what I mean? Does that make sense? When we watched There Will yeah. Be Blood, you're just in awe at Daniel Day-Lewis. And you're like, what a performance. What a fucking performance. It took me like four, I think the fourth time I watched this, and the fifth was last night. The fourth time I watched this, I started noticing the performances because up to that point, I hadn't been able to disentangle myself enough from how immersive, immersive is not the word, submersive the movie is. You sink into it. And like getting getting enough perspective, getting enough distance from it to see the performances and see the how good the the camera work and the actual filmmaking is is like kicking to the surface of this lulling, smothering, beautiful weight. You're I, you sink into this film and you have to struggle to get back out of it. And I love that yeah. about it. I love it. The first indication to me was it within the first ten fifteen minutes of the film, and it was with. Danny's phone calls. Fuck. And so, so acting, acting a phone call. Everybody has made phone calls and can talk on the phone. When you have to act it, and there's not someone on the other line, it's <laughs> fucking hard, yeah. and it's harder than you think. And it's like, why? Why is it so hard? I've had so many phone conversations. That's what grabbed me. That's when I went, oh my god, this movie is going to be a ride, because right. it it. You, it that's where it immediately brought me into it's like I'm watching this actually happen. Like it's mm-hmm. like I am I am her friend and I'm her roommate and I'm listening to an actual phone conversation mm-hmm. and the message that she leaves on the machine too. Right. It just it that's that's where the acting brilliance grabbed me right at the very beginning. 
with, with the phone calls. There's actually a really kind of frightening idea, well, good frightening for me, um, about this. So, like, with those phone calls, and, sp- like, we're going to talk about the garage suicide and the cinematography, which is just peerless. Uh. That's a one shot, by the way. That yep. the through the yeah. garage and up the stairs and starts starts on the floor. Starts of the garage on the floor and, of the garage. Yeah. Fucking unreal. But um, but there's this idea proposed in the Invisibles when at the beginning of the Invisibles, there's a character who doesn't believe in magic, and he he says like, oh, you know, I I went on this vision quest thing, but it really felt more like a dream, so it wasn't real. And the guy who's uh, initiating him basically says, well, what makes you so certain that dreams aren't real? And the kid goes, well, you can't touch it, can you? And the guy goes, have you ever held the hand of the guy who reads the news on, or who reads you the news on television every night? That's real. And you've never touched that. Watching this movie feels like you're, like a real event that's being recorded. And when you're done, you, the emotional, sh- when I was done, the emotional shift that had happened in me was as mm-hmm. real as real events that have happened to me. I felt profound emotion on a depth that I like this movie made me grapple and and deal with death as though I'd because I've I lost two of my relatives in the last couple of years I experienced like profound resurgences of grief that were equal to that those experiences that is a very real thing this is a real this is a this is not just like a representation or a microcosm or if you want to think of it in magical terms, it's a microcosm of the macrocosm and therefore as real as reality. Like, this mm-hmm. movie has real-world effects and and affects you in strange psychological ways. Um, as far as filmmaking technique goes, because we're talking about kind of that early part of the film, there was something I want to bring up now because it's going to be very important later, which is we talked about it with Hereditary, with the sound. Yes. Ari Aster, one of the things that sets him on a different a different level, a different platform than any other filmmaker I've ever seen, as particularly in horror, but honestly pretty much in just general, is his attention to and use of sound, especially biomechanical sound, the sounds that humans make. It's not just biomechanical sound, but when we get into the breathing stuff later, when we oh. get... Yeah. When yeah, when we get find myself almost doing it by the end of the movie with like a hard exhale with a sharp inhale follow because the the when we breathe, how do you breathe? You breathe in and out. Not this group of people. They have a ritualized breathing where you breathe out and then in. You know what I mean? I think it's also really interesting that um we see this when people when they cheers each other, the way that they clink glasses and cheers. The first time we see that is at the at the stupa, which I think is I have actually just pulled that off the top of my head. I think that's what it's called, the at the stupa, that where the two old people jump off the cliff, <laughs> yeah. which we'll fucking oh, yeah. talk about. But um, when they cheers each other, the way that they do it is they take their cup in their right hand and they touch the cup to the left shoulder of the person across from them. Right. Mm-hmm. When the old people at the at the stupa cheers, they drink first and then salute each other with empty glasses. Later on at the Maypole dance, when the girl and Danny uh, salute, like cheers each other, they cheers first and then drink because they're still young. They still have life ahead of them. The old people are saluting each other with empty glasses because they've reached the end of their cup. 
Yeah. Wow. You know what I mean? There's like, nothing more to come. That, there's, that's amazing. Yeah, like all the fucking way through, dude. Two hours, 27, and it's a throwaway detail. But it's there. And that's what creates this weird sense of, for me, verisim- not verisimilitude, but but um, plausibility? This this feels like a fully depth. realized depth. Mm-hmm. Because even if you, you don't want. understand the rituals, there can, there's enough inner consistency that this culture, and by the way, I'm saying culture now, just wait till I start saying cult because all of yeah. the shit we're saying for culture right now, when you strip it back into an abstract perspective, it immediately is visible as a cult. Immediately. But when you're in the flow, it's hard to see. And that is part of what makes this movie brilliant. The first several times... part of what makes cults... Scary as shit. And work, though. Yeah, work. And I think that the, what part of the brilliance of this movie is... And my takeaway from from the experience is Ari Aster is showing us what it is like to be brainwashed by a cult because he does it to us. Yeah. We become we become initiated by the end of this flick. Yeah. Where the things that shocked and horrified us now feel like part of the normal in a way. And you almost want to become you want to go home or you feel like you're home with Danny. Oh, yeah. I was like, yeah. okay, cool. Yeah. There, there's, yeah. there's like my reaction at the end of the film too is, you're yeah, like Carl and I talk. We can talk about that when it comes. Yeah, well, and Carl and I when we first watched this, we're talking about how like it really does feel, and we were even using the language of the cult leaders without thinking about it, but it really does yeah. feel like coming home. We're yeah. you sent me a text, you're like felt kind of like coming home, didn't it? I was like, it totally did, and then it took me days that's to realize. That's the language of the fucking. That's cult what they say to Danny when she arrives, home. and you're like, oh shit, they got me. It's in, they got me. It's in my head. It's now. hypnotic. Of, the yeah. the the filmmaking, the pacing, the use of sound, the use of like Bird and I talked about. Um, we'll talk. We are obviously going to talk about the what'd you call them? The the women in mourning. Like the the oh, yeah the uh, the the the, the hive women the hive of women who like tap into Danny's emotions and then like mirror them back until it's as a single unit they're like this seething mass of pure empathy where they are all feeling what everyone else is feeling and no one is feeling anything outside that group they become a unit and I truly believe they were feeling the emotion that they were meant to be acting yeah I think they yes. got to the place. And we're like genuinely there. There's no acting in that scene. Yeah. No, at all. not at all. Yeah, I think no, it starts that, that way experience. to get the fire lit. But as soon as they're in the throes of it, there's zero fucking acting happening. Right. I, I love the turn too, like of that scene. Well, let's. All right. So we've talked. We've talked all of the gigantic themes, and we've poured out our. It's impossible. It's like unstoppering a. You know, you've got to yeah. let some of it out. Now, let's try and imp- approach this in a sane <laughs> and <laughs> vaguely linear fashion um, and see where we go and see where we go from there. So let's start at the beginning. Let's talk a little bit about some sound design. One of the things I love at the very beginning um, is when she's looking, she's looking at the screen, her computer screen, right? Actually, before that, we get... Bird, do you want to bring up your point about newling, which I think is brilliant? Oh, yeah. Um, that, like, singing that's happening at the very beginning of the film. When, you, uh, when you're when uh, you over the still shots of Sweden in the winter. Yes. Um, I immediately went, oh, that sounds like newling, which is a style of uh, sort of singing, kind of yodeling um, from Scandinavia that calls home cattle. 
Yeah. It's actually so really bringing you, in your cows cool. or whatever. So you can find YouTube videos of this. It, it's a legit thing. It actually, it's for real. It's beautiful. It's so gorgeous. So like a woman, one woman will go out into the field and the singing, I'm obviously like my voice is all rock and roll it's and shit. It's not even words or anything. No, it's just, There's no... it's tones, It's which is really in Ari Aster's wheelhouse, just using tones and raw sound to evoke like visceral responses. But that... It's kind of like that, like a high swooping, like you know, it's just like a really high pitched swooping thing. So Bird pointed out the movie opens because there's no context to this. This is as right now, this is just score. This is score. The movie opens with Ari Aster calling the cattle in, and that's us, yeah. the viewer. Mm. And then he's about to like when... and the people going home for yeah. midsummer. Yeah, yeah. It's for, it's for everyone. It's Newling. Yeah. We're calling the livestock back, and I think it's really important that when we get to the village a little later on, and we'll talk about that then. But like this ties into the Newling thing. When we get to the village and we go through, there's that big, beautiful like that midsummer arch that has the hole, and you walk through. They walk through it. The camera is up high. We're watching people go through, but then the camera pans down pans or uh, cranes down cranes down cranes down until we're in line with the tourists and we walk through that liminal space into the village with them are they singing that newling thing at that no it's the it's the pan flute thing okay they're all playing the flutes but i think it's really important that many times throughout this film the camera work puts us amongst the group present so we're it really is psychologically subtly like being there and that's why i think partly why we get so sucked into it like your breath gets taken away during the at the stupa scene when we're we've seen all the stuff on the ground we've been shooting up worm's eye view worm's eye view worm's eye view you gasp when they cut to the pov of the old of the old woman and you look down at the crowd because now you are about to give not commit suicide you're about to give your life to this life cycle and you are in the high place and you've you're so strongly associated with pov shots at this point that you feel like you're about to die Mm -hmm. i mean you are when you've taken nine hits of weed and just did magic but um like (laughs) it's it's really intense and another thing i wanted to point out just because i i noticed it only for the first time last night on okay so we get every bit of scandinavian dialogue for the beginning of the movie is not subtitled it's just words we don't understand we hear people talking we don't really understand what the fuck they're saying then that the woman in the village starts giving a speech and she's like and she starts talking in in swedish and she's explaining the midsummer celebration and we're in the crowd we're like hanging out by the dude who's vaping and we're talking to each other and then we hear but i'm excluding our english-speaking crowd and we cut to her pov we are in her head, right? From that moment on, all of the Swedish bits are subtitled. They have, Ari Aster makes us wait, and once he aligns us with the cult, we understand their message now. We don't understand right. anything until we are there and part of the experience, and that's when the subtitles start. That's genius. It's yeah. one of the most brilliant... <clears throat> So one of the things I love the most about certain movies is when the director chooses to either let us understand Russian or let us in on the language. A perfect example of that that has always stood out for me is in The Hunt for Red October when um, Marco Ramius goes into his office and the the agent is there and he's reading from 
I believe he's reading from Marco Ramius's wife's uh, copy of the Bible or something. He's reading yeah. a passage in Russian, and the and the camera pulls into the book as he's reading, and then suddenly you're realizing that you're not reading subtitles anymore, but this person is now speaking English to Marco Ramius, and now we no longer have to read Russian. We now understand it, and and for the rest of the movie, so we're informed that you aren't. So you're reading subtitles, but now you speak Russian because you have been initiated now. Right, yeah. You've been welcomed into the you're in the captain's cabin and he has allowed you to to now understand everything that's being said. For feel... the longest time that stood out to me as the perfect example of how to how to do that in in a film. How to make it not seem awkward and strange. So, oh now we now we understand Russian. Okay. Right. And in this so case the office that. is the her head, her brain. His or her head. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, and so seeing that and seeing that same that same technique used, but to this effect, just blew my fucking <laughs> socks off, man. <laughs> I'm like, holy shit, he just did the hunt for Red October, now you speak Russian thing. Right, yeah. On a whole other fucking level. It's incredible, man. I feel another film that handled that really well was The 13th Warrior, which is probably a kind of a cheesy version. <laughs> oh, sure. But um, it's a good movie. Thematically good similar. Movie. Yeah. Kind of in a way. Um, and we have that actually happen around the Maypole. Or the... You're right. Where she whatever. actually starts to speak. Yeah, she's I somehow... can understand you. You can understand me. We're both speaking Swedish. Yeah. Isn't that incredible? Right. I don't I don't speak... You're speaking Swedish now. I am <laughs> speaking Swedish. We understand each other. That is such a, a beautiful incredible. moment. Incredible. All right. But I, I pulled us back to the village, and we need to stay in Danny's house for a little <laughs> while. I'm sorry. Um, this is one of the reasons why we did the spoiler warning where this is one of those movies where every point every if you just did it like frame by frame you know every scene and every beat and every point connects to another beat or point elsewhere in the film and with a film this big it's hard not to jump from here's this thing we see here and now at the two hour and five minute mark you're gonna see a callback to that blah 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 um so one of the things I wanted to talk about at the beginning is I love when we get the newling and we get the trees and it's hypnotic is a good word for it. And then we get that that scape that um, it's like a landscape of trees. The trees fall about mid height in the frame and we're hearing the newling note and then ring, loud fucking phone. And it's an immediate cut. Um, I, we haven't even mentioned editing, but best best editing you've ever seen. Best use well, of well, it's invisible, so yeah, yeah. It's not I always never fucking notice. Well, not always it, invisible. It, <laughs> so go ahead. Huh? Sorry, I was well, just. Well, it's it. No, go ahead. Go do seamless? it. Seamless. Say Carl. Say your thing. It's seamless. <laughs> yeah. So one thing that I can't stand is when a movie it when when suddenly I become aware of when the camera is changing or when an angle has changed, and once I notice it, it's hard for me to not notice it. Happens in a lot a lot of like Lethal Weapon movies and shit like that where you're constantly cutting. And as soon as I'm aware of cuts happening, I can't unsee them. And now I'm just, that's an overshot, over, over, two shot, over, over, two shot. And now I'm trapped in that cycle I, of, of noticing. I had a brain I, bomb just now. I never noticed I never noticed a cut in this movie. So when you said that, I started thinking about why you don't notice the camera work. And it's because the camera work is very slow and very deliberate. Even during the violent bits, there's not... It's not quick cuts. There's no whip pans. There's no like when the, one of the things that makes the horror so horrifying is how unblinking it is. 
We just look at it. When we when we go out the window, we so we see this the suicide scene. When we go out that window, that's the slowest um, tracking shot. It's not a tracking shot. There, it's a dolly. They're dollying down the hallway and they go out the window. And at the end of the hallway is the worst thing, Danielle. It's the the tube in the mouth. It's the worst fucking thing you've ever seen. And it's at the end of the hallway. So that dolly shot is just agonizingly slowly because you slow because you are scared and then it gets worse and worse and it only gets worse until you go out the window into the screaming snow the pounding strings the that by the way this is a this is a movie of visual texture but we go out into the this cold brutal winter and in cold brutal black winter bang title card midsummer the dichotomy of that is so profound it's just it's incredible. Mm-hmm. It's totally incredible. But I was just thinking that slow, methodical, calm, deliberate handling of the filmmaking is how you keep bees, too. It's how you keep a cult. That's how well that's how yeah. you, you mentioned earlier like the bee thing and it's like a they're like a hive. That is how you handle bees is slowly and deliberately because if you do anything fast or jerky, you agitate them. And they get out of that hive thing and they get defensive. Just like the viewer, if you distract us with too many whip pans, if you don't keep us... I'm out of it. Now I'm watching a movie. Right. He handles us like a hive while showing us a movie about a cult that behaves like a hive. It's amazing. I love that this movie has no bees in it, by the way, because you did bring up um, uh, The Wicker Man. One of the best, one of the best folk horror movies that has ever existed. Now, see, you say that, Mm. but after you see Midsummer, I I said this to Connor and I genuinely believe it. The script for Midsummer makes movies like The Silence of the Lambs and The Exorcist, like really intricate, tight scripts. It makes them look like ninth grade personal essays. I can't, I'm I'm not going to take anything away from Silence of the Lambs, man. I find that that's just about a goddamn perfect script, too. I'm not shitting on those scripts. I'm just, Okay, so like, I'm not gonna. This movie doesn't make those movies worse. This movie right. is so, so insanely good, and the bar went so, so high that the I'm bar saying went way high. Yeah, I, get I, it. <laughs> I think some of the best films ever made, some of the best scripts ever written, now look gently deficient in comparison to this. And that is not a criticism. Dude, I'm never gonna criticize Chinatown or The Exorcist or Silence of the Lambs. They're incredible (laughs) films. But there's like another level of thing happening here. Mm -hmm. This is beyond a film script. This is beyond a film. And what's crazy too about Ari Aster is that he is this nuanced filmmaker and is doing all of these things that are incredible, but he's also not above throwing in several direct nods to his heroes like Kubrick and Spielberg. There are two shots in particular Mm -hmm. that are straight one out of 2001 A Space Odyssey and the other one from fucking The Shining. Like it's incredible. Uh, Actually Bird, and we didn't double check this but uh, we think that, is it Pele's or Danny's? It's Danny's Danny's Blanket. Bird thinks that Danny's Blanket. That's the carpet from The Shining. But blue. It's the carpet from The Shining in blue. Yeah, it's the same pattern. It's just a different color. (laughs) Like, how fucking amazing is that? Um, And when you sent me that text, that really opened another door into this movie for me where you were like, we were talking yesterday when we were talking about doing this movie and you were saying, yeah, there's, there's so many influences from other directors. And I was like, there are, but it's also so unique. But as soon as you said Kubrick, I was like, oh my God, you're right. Like, Like the use of really intricate interior designing spaces, use of wide angle lenses and unusual angles, um, color palette, monoliths, like the cliff 
is so big that it becomes <laughs> it becomes it's a monolith, monolith yeah. you know like there's there's stuff in here that is so out of proportion to our normal western or even human sense of scale even on an emotional level the emotional impacts that we are witnessing are higher and lower than we're used to everything about this movie is slow moving titanic monoliths if you make this movie a little bit creepier which i think would be to its detriment it also shares a lot of storytelling beats with lovecraft that slow yeah. pace the creeping way the this is like a dunwich aspects. like there's weird yeah there are weird things just underneath the floorboards why is this village so strange right one of the because things... you are in dunwich that's why so the fucked up buildings the yeah the weird architecture which he i love this is another thing i really like about ari aster which you see in hereditary his strange fascination with architecture and houses and models like hereditary is all about we talked about it on the hereditary episode she builds model houses and that's basically what sigil magic is is you build a microcosm of the macrocosm to affect change in the macrocosm that's what he's doing in midsummer too is he builds he's but except the whole movie is a sigil kind of the way that i said that hereditary was a a, a hyper sigil it's a yeah I think Ari Aster is doing he's doing ritual magic. He, oh yeah. Grant Morrison's The Invisibles is a hyper sigil. He's doing that thing. He's doing magic with his films and it's affecting the real world. It's affecting oh, us. Hang on. Are we And the now... way he interviews supports that. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a I've never seen a whip smart person like him before and so but eloquent too. This is the too. thing that if he feels in his interviews, at least the few that I've seen, he feels like he's always guarding something. Like he'll ask, like an interviewer will ask him a very particular question about a shot or what he was thinking when he wrote a particular scene. And when it first comes across as maybe somebody that is unsure of how to answer is maybe a bit camera or interview shy because of the way he takes his time and chooses his words. It, because it's the first couple interviews I saw with him, I thought, oh, I expected him to be a little more well spoken he talks like elon musk does he does very much so but and it's not that he is unsure of what to say he's trying to make sure he doesn't say the things that he he's guarding he's holding things back he doesn't want to give the secret away oh you mean he's keeping things hidden is there a word that means things hidden is it occult <laughs> Yeah, That's, exactly. I mean, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, so like it's uh, the. I mean, but if it's the cult of Aster, I mean, sign me the fuck up. I'm so in. I'm fucking in. I'll that, tithe. That was my thought just now. If we, if he makes a film about a cult and it's a hyper sigil, he's now a cult filmmaker, right? Like we're yes. all in the Ari Aster cult. Yeah, yep. it's 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 amazing. One. So one of the things I like about the beginning is it's okay. So let's talk a little bit about cult techniques in relation to sound. So they actually do the same thing. I know, okay, here comes con controversial statement, not number one, but I don't know how many we've made so far, but here comes a, a big one. <laughs> they do this to you in boot camp. Carl, you know this. So in, oh, yeah. in boot camp, they break your personality down. They try to erase your ego so that they can use that blank slate as a platform to build a soldier on top of. Yeah, they empty you out so they can put the soldier in. Absolutely. So the ways that they do that is they deprive you of sleep. They deprive you of food. They administer, I mean, so now if you move into cults, they add drugs into the mix. So they keep you sleep-deprived, hungry, and on drugs. Is that any of this sounding that familiar? That crying baby in the bunkhouse isn't 
isn't a mistake. It's there to keep them from sleeping well. Right. I also think that's part of the motivation for killing um, the uh, cultural anthropologist who's there is because he keeps giving Danny sleeping pills. After he does it two nights in a row, he gets murdered. Yeah. Yes, allowing her to sleep. Yeah, you can't let her sleep. She has to be tired because when you're tired, you can't think straight. And when you can't think straight, you go along with shit. It's oh man, yeah. <laughs> so oh man. <laughs> so, but the movie does this to us too. At the beginning, especially with the use of sound, we're lulled into a. This is actually a Russian torture technique used by the KGB. Here's some newling. Here's some images of calm winterscapes. Newling ringing phone and it shocks you and it creates we talk about this with sigil Serbian magic and death metal was like what they used to like push into cells and stuff right like crazy. I, think, I, I think that made me jump i think that was like oh, the only sure. jump scare yeah <laughs> yeah the ringing phone it freaked me out too yeah. um but then there's more there's more so she looks at her she looks at her laptop and she, it's an email thread but it's too far away and you can't read it right so you're squinting and you're looking, and I've been watching with headphones at this point, you know, like most of the, well, not every time, but the first couple times I had headphones on, and I'm watching it, and you're, you're still, like, you squint, and you lean in, and you can't read it, and then it cuts to her face, and you're still there, but it cuts quickly back to the screen. So you, it establishes a rhythm, her face, the screen, her face, the screen, right? So you get into a rhythm, but the second time through, it goes, her face, the screen, her face, the screen is close now! And it pops up to close to the screen. I know, but it, that that like blowed out microphone happens in the film because when we cut closer to the screen, he amplifies the sound of her laptop fan. So when you jump in, you get a burst of white noise with the email message, and right, it's another thing. It's like those little bursts of white noise keep you on your heels, so you never have your feet under you. And then we cut from that to Bird. Bird talked about the cinematography of the. Um, do you want to talk about the scene where after she calls Christian, and Christian is the worst boyfriend in the history of the world? Mm. Um, she calls her other friend and is like, "I think Christian's gonna break up with me." Do you want to talk about how that scene was shot? It's shot. Okay, so it's, it's the cabinet mirrors open. She's coming down up and down the hallway, but because the camera is focused on the mirror and she's back there i think you should talk about this okay (laughs) sorry yeah you pointed it out last night i didn't even notice what you're talking about all right so the there's the second phone call she calls christian she says hey my sister sent me this scary email i'm kind of freaked out um and christian's like she does this all the time uh do you want me to come by and hang out tonight i'll swing by later hangs up on her um and then she calls her friend and is like i'm just so worried that i just i don't know he's not paying attention to me and i think he's just building up the courage to leave me and blah 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 during that phone call, where the shot is an open, it's a so we're looking at a medicine cabinet hanging on a wall, and it's a mirror, and we're focused on the mirror, right? So focal distance, we're focused about five feet away from the camera on the mirror, but Danny is behind us in another room, about twenty-five feet away. So even though the mirror is in focus, Danny's out of focus, and your brain really struggles to figure out why that is, because everything is clear except for her. And you're like, I don't understand how this shot is accomplished until you realize it's a mirror. Because you're like, oh, they're focused on the mirror. So the focal length is five feet and Danny is way the fuck away. And that's why she's out of focus. And that cognitive dissonance where certain details are crisp and clear and certain others are just blurry for seemingly no reason. Bird was talking about this is what it feels like to walk down a hallway in a dream. 
Yeah. And when she approaches the mirror, she comes further and further into focus until she arrives at the mirror and is totally in focus. And what does she do when she finally has a clean, clear view of herself in that mirror? She opens she the mirror. She grabs Ativan. She takes a benzo- benzodiazepine, anti-anxiety medication, and goes back into the cloud. The yeah. moment she sees reality in that mirror... We ne- by the way, you never see Danny look into a mirror, but she's always around them. She won't look at herself. Uh, she, does she does in the outhouse, but that's the she's only the time that happens because right. her sister's right behind her. And what does she see when she looks in the mirror in the outhouse? What I'm saying yeah. is like when she sees her – every time she sees her reflection, she hates what she sees. So she sees yep. that clear version of herself and pops a benzo, which are highly addictive anti-anxiety medications. Jordan Peterson recently went through like a year-long addiction to benzodiazepines, Ativan being the most popular one. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, and all this happens. You see why it took me an hour to watch 15 minutes of this movie? Like we're not yep. even five minutes in. Did my bread alarm just go off? No, but we're getting close. Okay. When my bread alarm goes off, I think we can, we'll, we'll see where we're at, but okay. it's probably not long, like another 20 minutes or whatever. Um, so then some other shit happens and she tries to email her sister again. And now let's, let's at least get through her parents' suicide. How's that sound? All right. So her parents... We fi- we we'll find out a little bit later that we don't actually know. We just see Christian and his friends after that phone call. There it is. Yeah, there's the bread alarm. So we'll just we'll get through this. It's just rising. Yep. It'll be fine. Um. So when Christian calls or when Danny calls Christian and he's hanging around with his friends and the dude's like, "You can't answer the phone, dude. It's literally abuse." She has a therapist. That phone call is her calling to tell Christian that her whole family is dead. During that scene, did you re- did you see the the picture behind Christian? It's famous. That's hanging on the, the wall in the bar. Is it the? Um, um, yes. Um, do you know who it is? There's so many pictures that I'm forgetting which one it's, it is. It's, it's a famous picture. It's Sophia. It's Sophia Loren and Jane Mansfield sitting at a table together, and it's a famous shot of them because Sophia Loren was like this classy A-list starlet, and Jane... She was a starlet like, holy shit. And Jane Mansfield had this kind of Marilyn Monroe-esque um, uh, reputation as sort of, like, air quote, obviously air quotes, this is just her reputation at the time. Um, she was kind of known as like a like this big busted hussy, right? Um... Uh, Anton LaVey actually writes a lot about Jane Mansfield. They were she was dating him for a while. Anton LaVey being, for those of you who don't know, the head of the uh, Church of Satan. Um, but he he wrote the Satanic Bible. Um, so there's this famous picture is Sophia Loren looking at um, Jane Mansfield like hardcore side eye. You've never seen a woman like mm-hmm. look more like given her the business. Yeah, that's the shot. That is exactly it. Like and she's what? looking No, that's not it. That's Oh no no. There's no, another somebody wait, is wait, 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 wait. Yep, hold on. Wait. That's that's from the same night. That's from the same night. The other picture is Jane's it's the one where Jane Mansfield's leaning over the table that Sophia Loren is at and her boobs are like oh, in oh, her face. Got it, got it. Got it. Uh, we don't have video. Keep so. going. Yeah, yeah that's the it's one. that's the shot. So that's Sophia Loren trying to ignore Jane Mansfield's boobs in her face. And actually, if you look closely, you can see Jane Mansfield's areola too. Like her boobs are falling out. So um, it's this is a famous picture. And what I my note is there's two sex pot women who are held up as the golden standard of beauty, sexual compliance, and fertility. Um, and that what they're talking about at the table is getting women pregnant. The douchebag friend is like, dude, you could dump Danny and get a girl who actually likes sex. He's talking about women 
as objects, which he does throughout the entire film. They talk about women who are sexually compliant, women who are there for the express purpose of breeding, and behind them are two Golden Age American icon women who were turned into basically like what are they sex icons sex really? icons yeah. yeah i would say you, you have madonna and the whore isn't there a word for it there's a right. is it sex pot is that what it is yeah se- I, would, I mean sex yeah, pot, yeah. A- yeah but there so yeah. like the the symbol that rep like there's the dude come on it's just a picture hanging on a bar and i also love one of the things i love most about it is it once if you know anything about the jane mansfield sophia loren like feud that was going on and you know about that that actually the picture that's in the movie is not the most famous picture the famous picture is the one that Danielle showed us first where they're sitting at the same table and what do we see as soon as we get to when we get to the the village in Sweden there's immediately another woman who looks at Danny shitty and is trying to steal her man and we create it's but i love that that doesn't hold out that like the rivalry between Danny and the redhead girl where they're both fighting for some reason over Christian. Um, I love that that resolves itself once Danny becomes the May Queen because Danny's been indoctrinated into the cult. And now at that point, the redhead comes over and embraces her like a sister because she's part yeah. of the family. Um, I just love that back. I love that like that little background detail, the like bent American version of... Yeah. I mean, and there's, there's other stuff, but, but uh, yeah, anyway. Uh, I really like that a lot. Uh, well, between the two of those women as well, you again have the Madonna and whore. You do. Because she has just yeah. been approved to mate. She hasn't made it, so she's a virgin. Yeah. So Madonna and whore, Danny. Right. I don't know why. Yeah, but Danny, we also know that Danny doesn't really like sex, so I don't know. Um, I love, I love the phone call because when he finally gets up, and he gets away and he answers the phone. And he's like, hey, what's up? Danny's like right. Her line is like right on top of it where she just and it's not even a line. It's just no. It's the word. No, 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 no. And it turns into it almost sounds like those. You know, it's the like ca- a fugue state. It's the weirdest thing, man. It's it sounds to me like, you know, what the videos of cats making weird noises like the meow, meow, meow. Yeah, absolutely. It, it sounds it's, like that. But if the cat had cancer and whooping cough. It's yeah. Dude, when she she wails from like her, the bottom of her lungs, the, it's insane. The cr- however these actresses do it, or however Ari Aster gets it out of them in Hereditary too, you see the intense mourning. Tony Collette of, of Tony Collette, you see the intense mourning of Florence Pugh, and I like that was another moment for me where I didn't see acting. I saw people who were genuinely. In pain and mourning, a right. shocking loss. Right. I mean, that's it's uh, no wonder the uh, the Academy gave her the uh, <clears throat> you know award for best Oh, you wait. Yeah. Do you mean the Academy? No, I think I'm maybe I'm misremembering, but it's, I almost remember like Hereditary getting snubbed. That's so strange. Yeah, weird. It must be that Baron, right. Berenstein Berenstain thing. I don't know. It is. Yeah. <laughs> um. Oh, I just re- I just realized that I actually had uh, an earlier shot wrong when we do that tracking shot or that dolly shot down the hallway towards her sister with the the tube taped into her mouth. That's not when we go out the window. That's, That's when we go no. into the computer with the last bit of the last Yeah, you message. go to the computer. The shot where we go out the window is another is her morning. Yeah, the grief. And I love that the shot where her sister is dead and she is grieving oh, is this... the same shot. 
it's a dolly towards a prone like a figure on the in a like either prone or on the ground position and then in one we go into a screen which is a type of window and then we in the other we go out the window and i also like where we get our title card that's where we get our title card that's is where we get the title card. yeah over her sobs her yeah. sobbing her like and, the, and the uh, just raging uh, wind wailing. it's oh like she's God. got fucking bubble wrap in her lungs man it was awful oh my god sobbing through the consumption man it's it's disgusting sounding it's true grief it's true yep. grief you're yes. watching these are i always have a lot of respect for actors that do hard work like look you can it's fun to act crazy it's fun to act dangerous and unhinged it's not really fun to act like you have ptsd or act like your whole family just committed suicide or like right. like grief that's an unpleasant task for an actor and the ones that can go all the way there like tony yeah. collette like it Florence Pugh. Incredible. Amazing. It's totally Absolutely amazing. Incredible. Um can we briefly talk theory on the family death? Let's hit it. All right. Uh, anybody else want to start this? Do you Should not have it? it? Yeah, kick it off. What's your okay. theory? Theory. Pele goes in, uh drugs family or somehow gets into the house and kills all of them. You think Pele murders the family? I do. Interesting. My theory is slightly different based on how we've seen Pele and this cult operate and how how or aware. Or manipulates sister into murder suicide. I think the sister does everything. That's but what I think, she too. Wasn't yeah. the was not her idea. It was incepted. We know she's. Yeah, because Pele was in the bar with Christian. Right. So he didn't, he didn't kill them in the moment. But I do really like the theory of him somehow planting the seed either with with drugs because the sister is bipolar right or so yeah. we're so we're told right um and we we she has a long history of doing this which if pele knew Dan, christian and danny he would know that she had this sure. really disturbed i mean christian She's talks unstable. about it yeah we, that's what he's talking about at the bar is like how disturbed danny and her family are they're all fucked up so pele's got access to that info so I would just be curious to see uh, if there's a roll of duct tape near the sister in that shot. Watch, we're gonna watch. Um, we're gonna watch the director's cut, and it's gonna be like it's gonna explain too much. It'll be like Pele, like we'll watch him murdering the family. <laughs> I was just, I, I think the hoses are yellow. Is that wrong? Which is like one of the colors of the cult. I think they it's are yellow. Yellow. I think you're right. They're like primary. But I don't think that I think that is a, a film design choice rather than you, a. You don't think it's a wink? No, I don't think Pele actually killed him. I what I think I do think that Pele drove the sister to suicide. It's the winter time, things are hard. We know that she's in a mentally precarious position, and Pele knows all this. So I think he plants a seed. He gives her some drugs or something. He does something that. I mean, we see him turn Danny's emotions around after she's watched a double suicide. He goes, do you, like, when, that speech where he goes, do you feel held by him? Mm-hmm. You know, I believe every, he goes. So much so that she chooses him to go in the bear. I mean, like, yeah. that's pretty fucking powerful. Yeah, she, yeah, yeah. So, like, emotional manipulation is part of this community, cult. Let's talk about it in the next episode. But um, it, it, this is one of their fortes. This is one of their their strong cards is fucking with people's heads to such an extent that you can make them swallow an awful lot i mean four of the group i mean t- the two you from can make them make decisions that you want them to make well think like the two from london bail after the suicide right oh well, yeah they try to skip well, they, town they get they murdered but they're newcomb yeah right they're ready to leave but the core group our main heroes none of them are ready to leave 
all of them go with that. All of them swallow it, that. No well, the problem. two, the yeah, the the two, the two dudes. They're like, well, we're gonna do. Well, I'm gonna do the thesis here. Yeah, and yeah, that whole yeah, subplot. From an anthropo- anthropological standpoint. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Um. So I I want to walk through. I want to walk through the the cinematography, the whole suicide scene, and then at that point, I say probably a good idea. Put a pin in it. Revisit yeah. it again. Okay, so let's Absolutely. walk through the actual shooting of the suicide, the the cinematography of the suicide. I didn't write it down beat for beat, but I've got it pretty solidly in my head. I think we start. We definitely are on the floor of the the garage. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. unclear what we're seeing at first because we're seeing lights flashing mm-hmm. and it's there's clear, see, there's smoke. I we mean, see it's smoke the, and we see the tail lights, right? There's the tail lights, yeah, and the and the muffler, the exhaust of the of oh, one we, of the vehicles. I, we, I don't think we do start on the ground. I think we start looking into the car because we see that there's no driver. And I, I think that might be accurate. Yeah, it's we, we're definitely in the garage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. And we open the garage door too. Yes, correct? that. Yeah. yeah. So the, the garage door. The garage door comes in. You see the snow, like that blue snow blow in, and against the red light of the taillights, it's gorgeous. Everything in this scene, even though it's like the most one of the more troubling moments in the movie, is beautiful. It's so beautifully <laughs> shot. But um, we see because I, I remember this is another one of those moments, like reading right to left. You see a car, you see a garage door open, you see the cars running. All right, someone's in the driver's seat and they're dead, right? We've, yep, because you've seen that a thousand times yeah, in movies. Like, you've seen a garage suicide. Suicide in the garage. Right, and yep. then they then they move a little bit and they come up and you're like, okay, wait, oh, okay, the car's running, but there's no one in it. That's weird. And then you see the firemen like walking into the house and you see the tube running into the house on the floor. You see tubes, multiple. Because there's three tubes, the... yeah. There's... I think there's two cars both running. Yeah. So, yeah. and you, you're like, now you're seeing like not just one tube, but a couple tubes, like three, there's a shitload of tubes and they're, and then it's all a one shot. We pan backwards. We go up the stairs. We are ahead of a fireman, which is a scary place to be because our back is to whatever is dangerous and frightening. And all we see is the people approaching it and we don't know what's behind us. So that creates tension all on its own. Um, mm-hmm we go up the staircase this really muted color palette really dark really lots of blues and smoky. grays smoky Easy, yeah. i love that it's not i love that it seems kind of like smudged over by the exhaust you know it's not that stark it's dark and scary it's kind of mm-hmm. faded everything has a dreamlike quality it's like being underwater yeah um especially when they open the door into the parents bedroom which when you the first time I saw this, Bird immediately knew that the parents were dead. She's like, "They're not breathing," and I'm like, "Oh, no, they were they were breathing in the first shot of them." It's, were they? it's very they clear are, that they're yeah, breathing. because you need to see them breathing, which means that when Danny called, they were still alive, but they were dying. still alive. She called exactly. and left a message as her parents were dying while they're inhale, while they're inhaling carbon monoxide. But she called that they were going to die. She's like, "These two are toast." I'm like, "Damn it, Bird is going to be ahead of this movie the whole way." <laughs> <laughs> But um, when they walk, you made me this. I know. I so so many years of like watching shit and just being like watching it with critical eyeballs. And you do watch a movie totally different when you know you're gonna do measuring flicks the next day. Like you really are. Yeah. Like you start watching. But um, when they walk into the parents' bedroom, it's not just blues and grays. It's like green blue. It's underwater. It's sea green blue. Like it really looks submerged to me, and it makes it 
And the camera movement through the space is very floaty. Yes. But just kind of floated. Very floaty. And then, so we see him zip the parents into the bags and we go out the door with the bodies, but rather than follow the bodies down the stairs, that's when we start dollying down the hallway and you realize that you haven't even seen the bad thing yet because here comes the bad thing. And like in dreams, you don't want to look at it. You want to turn away, but you keep going down the hallway. You want to turn and run, but the scary thing just keeps being at the end of the hallway. It pulls you in and there it is. And again, it's the pacing. It's so slow. He lets you look at it. And the effects work in this. Just the physical effects. We can talk about just out of this world unreal it was like look so disturbing i love tom savini and we probably have this movie because tom savini inspired a group a new generation of of kids doing effects work to get it better to get it more real to get it more troubling i've never seen special effects like this we will talk next next episode or maybe the episode after that about the fucking blood eagle when we see the lungs for the first uh-huh. time they're, and they're out of focus, Bird's like, oh, they used CG. And then the camera pulls into focus and you're like, no, he just wanted nope. you to think that he used CG. And now you're staring at the most perfect prosthetic you've ever seen in your life. And you want to throw up, oh, yeah. but you also want to applaud. Because yeah, it's you're, incredible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's unreal. It's just, oh my God. All right. So that's that's pretty much the uh, the suicide. Danielle, I am with you 100%. The... Uh, the sister with the tube duct taped into her mouth and vomit on her shirt is in her eyes bulged out and one pupil one fully flight. blown. Yeah. Yep. One eyes just out. totally blown out by the, by the carbon dioxide. It is or oh. carbon monoxide. It is the most horrific single image I've ever seen with my eyes. Same, same here. It re- that really, and it still sticks with me. It's like that, that one scene, the whole movie in general sticks with me right for so many reasons but that one scene is one of the scariest things one of the most and he shows it to us at least three more times yeah than yes. we're aware of. again yeah. and again and he sometimes does. not even the actual image but just trees that remi- it shows you that that is in danny's subconscious mind always when it shows up just in patterns and textures of light or i mean we talked about the mirror when she looks at the mirror in that dark room, that's what's in the background is her sister with that tube duct taped into her face. And then when she looks back at the mirror, she's all like horribly distorted by mushrooms. And But yeah, like that that image, that, oh, by the way, that's not even where my like, my like uh, 15 minute mark. So that's like less than 10 minutes into the movie. That was the moment that I knew that this is the moment that I texted, not I think it was you. I texted you and I said, I'm, I think I'm like 15 or 20 minutes into this movie. And I can say that unless Ari Aster like completely shits the bed, this is the best film ever made. I called it like (laughs) 15 minutes in. I was like, he's not going to fuck up because I trust him so implicitly with hereditary already just through the suicide and going out the window by the title card. I knew that this was going to be the best film I'd ever seen. And I was right by the end of the movie. I'm like, yeah, nailed it. Nary, nary a weak spot. Like he sets it up from go. He's like, I'm about to show you the best thing you've ever seen, and it's gonna fuck you up. And then two yes, and a half, and then you sit back a little, and you're like, All right, all right, Ari Aster, show me the best thing I ever saw. And then two and a half hours later, you call your friend Carl, and you're like, Hey, I have to go do some blood magic in the woods. Um, I just saw the best movie I've ever seen. It's fucking incredible. Um, so we'll get next time. We'll get into the uh, we'll get into the trip. 
um, over over there. We'll introduce the village. We'll get people into the village. But really, that takes us through because the next we're actually doing it by season. I like this because that is the end of winter. Ooh. The next time we that see it, it's spring. Yeah. So we've done. We've covered winter. Winter is just my god, people like. That is like the pinky toe in the ocean. We have some swimming ahead of us, but yeah, yes, we do. But fuck, man, like. But all the sharks are beautiful. Are they? Are they ever? And then, like, it gets to a point where the sharks are so beautiful that as they devour your friends, you're like, gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. perfection. Yeah, yeah. I could get into this like living with sharks thing. Like that's so fucked up. By the end of the movie, you're like, yeah, yeah, okay, let's. We could go move there, and you're like, oh wait, right, they murdered her, like nine. They people. murdered nine people. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe as many as like maybe 11 you know or no 13 12 yeah they may have murdered 12 people if they oh. killed danny's family so you're like oh mm. that's right yeah so at, ritual. at the end of the movie bird do you want to tell them what 14? you told me who's the 14th well i was thinking the two elders the jump right yeah because that's all part of the the offering family to yeah oh, are they included yeah they're they're, yeah, they're already included. offered they have okay. the they have them flayed and stuffed with sticks and they leaves. don't though because they burn them whole Oh, yeah, so it must just be effigies. It's only the outsiders who they flay, right? Anyway, yes. we'll get into flaying outsiders. But, yeah, so, like, at the end of the movie, <laughs> do you want to tell people what you said? Or do you want me to tell them? I, I don't remember what I said. At the end of the movie, Bird turns and she goes, hey, next summer, can we do something like that but without all the murder? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. That, I, my, my same thought, actually. It's like, I want to do all of that except for the murdery part. Right. Like, uh, if we just, like, control Z the murdering bits, uh, like, Midsummer yeah. Celebration, you know, we've never done one, and we're both... And I, and I said, I never want to go to a small, small <laughs> town in a field in Sweden. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, actually, you want to be really spooked. Um, that village really exists. That place, ah. yeah. Ari Aster based this this like that concept on a real community that's really in Sweden that really is secluded and really has no contact with the outside world. It's based on a real place. Um, he's, oh, yeah. I don't know if Carl, if you've watched some of the one or read some of the interviews I have, but he is very clear. He's like, look, I'm not going to talk about what they actually do, what their real right. practices are. He's like, I'm going to respect that space. Just know I'm, I made a scary movie. I definitely added like horror stuff. But he also did say, he's like, but that said, yeah, I did take a lot of what's in the movie from this group of people. He, he doesn't want people to go there. He doesn't want people to go fuck with them yeah, or anything. Yeah. But he did say, he's like, they do some stuff that yeah. made it into this film that the world might find troubling. You know what I mean? Like, so this this place, as far as the interview that I, the couple interviews I read, is based at least loosely on a real place and a real group of people, which is kind of fucked up, yeah. But also kind of fascinating. Um, I'm not gonna go write a thesis about it because you get flayed or bloody go. <laughs> you get flayed. Yeah. Um. Sorry. All right. No, it's cool. It is definitely nap time. Um, Carl, you guys can listen to another Patreon episode. Carl's, um, you're fighting a little bug or something? Is it like a? Yeah, I got, I got a little bit of a cold. Is it? Yeah, it's like, is it? It's like the yeah. flu, right? That's what I keep hearing. This uh, bug. It's, it's just, it's just like the flu. <laughs> I mean, not a big yeah. deal or anything. COVID sucks, guys. Yeah, COVID <laughs> does suck. Um, and Carl's been going for two hours fifteen, which is, dude, you're a hero and a champion. Um, so what I want to do right now is up to this point in the movie. Let's try and do it in sections. So, and we'll do this at the end of each of these episodes that we do. Final thoughts on the winter portion of Midsummer. Can we start with Danielle and go around? Um, just heart wrenching. Um, and really, 
really in in like you said the first 15 minutes of the film you know you're in for quite quite a film for quite some quite an experience yeah i should um and it's the only time one of the only times that you are in darkness yeah the yes one. that it was, was the, it was the darkest part well i carl was it you and well, i well, was it you and I, or was it you and uh, Bird? I'm sorry, I'm doing it like everyone Your can other see significant us. Other. Yeah, my other significant other. Um, was it who was I talking to? Uh, and it was not my idea. Somebody, I think it was you, Carl. You said that Hereditary was Hereditary his dark the movie. Yeah, and that was me. Midsummer is the light because in Hereditary, it were very rarely in daylight. Like there are scenes in daylight, but so much of it takes place in that, like, you know that that uh, that that dark tomb like house you know the stygian blackness of this family and then once you do midsummer all of the horror takes place in a place where there is no such thing as night for this time period the most horrific suicide you've ever seen is in the brightest white you've ever been yeah it's so subjected to in film and yeah and that's but we're going to talk about that next week but you're right like it is it's almost overlit in a way and it that makes it's blown out. That's it's what like, makes that is, work. Yeah. Yep. It's 100% what makes that work. Um Dan, uh, Danielle, did you have anything else or do you want to go Carl? Carl should go. Carl, winter, closing winter, thoughts. It doesn't have to be I a mean, ton. We've talked a lot. So no, like no, just that's good. any other so little winter, shit. Yeah. It, it's it's the cold open, man. That's the <laughs> Yeah. That's <it>. that's... <laughs> the cold mm. open. Okay, yeah, yeah. It, but it's one that, that, that it's it's a it's a full story in and of itself. I mean, there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. Yeah. It, it's a it's its own thing that informs the rest of the mm-hmm. movie, and I find it brilliant that that not only does that work on its own as its own unique piece of thing, but before we see that, we see the tapestry that is the entire plot given to us. Right, right. It, it's it's the, it's all so well orchestrated. And we're being primed. He's priming the pump for... He shows us the most disturbing thing up front so that the rest of it doesn't make us so horrified that we leave the theater or close our eyes. Right. I think that's an interesting point because visually, just from a totally visceral animal perspective, I think there are more disturbing things ahead. But from an emotional level, a suicide and a double murder of your family... And getting to, we talked about this with funny games, you so rarely see the aftermath of death in films. You don't see grief. You see like, oh, dead bodies and we're scared, but you don't ever see, and in Hereditary you see this too. Oh my God, my daughter died. Show me what that's like a week from now, three weeks from now, a month. Show me a a storm of tears two months down the road while you're making a cup of tea and you don't understand why. Why am I crying Mm -hmm. all of a sudden? Then you're, you're there again. You're suddenly there. That's what he does here is he shows us what the aftermath looks like. Um, And he shows us just really quick. Like one of the things that I only caught this time is when she's in that mushroom trip, when the douchebag friends go or friend goes, you got because they're all high on mushrooms. He goes, you guys are my family. You're like my real family. When he says the word family, that's what kicks her out of her trip and sends her into a panic and anxiety attack is just hearing the word family. That this movie like really takes the consequences of that into account, and I love that you point that out. Like, this is not this isn't just like her parents died and then she gets on a plane. We have to sit with nope. like the grief. And Danielle, I think you were talking about like that's that's really raw. 
Like, the, the fact that our title card comes in the midst of the absolute pinnacle, the apex of Danny's grief is, that's powerful. That's really powerful. Um, Bird. Uh, I think in this portion of the film that Ari is playing very well with uh, cultural themes that we associate with winter. Yeah. He's perfectly uh, bringing out those uh, winter is about death, winter is about darkness, it's about uh, stillness and quiet. Um, you know how we, we see the family and it's just still and silent, like a fresh blanket of snow at midnight, you know? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I I absolutely love that. Um, that's a yeah. My the my last thought is going back to that that boot camp slash cult technique, which is breaking someone down all the way so that you can build them back up the way that you need them to be. It's yeah. what they do with cults and winter. That is the most emotionally harrowing thing. Winter is the entire emotional impact of hereditary in 15 or 16 minutes. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's, it is that going to get you through it quick. God, and he scrapes you empty with that. Emo- you're just fucking destroyed. You're destroyed by how emotionally fraught that opening is. And what does that leave? You, you literally just met them. Yeah. You just met Danny. You never you meet never, her family. You never met her parents or no. her sister. No, but, but it leaves you broken rubble and then the rest of the movie is Ari Aster taking those bits of rubble and fitting them into a dry stone wall that you don't realize fully surrounds you until it's too late you know what I mean he builds you back up it's just it's awesome to see how effectively he can tear you down I love that here and we'll talk about what spring will bring um next time (laughs) so thank you all so much for listening if you listened to all this and you're like I'm not gonna watch Midsummer. When by the time we get to part two, you guys have better have fucking watched this movie. We've already like spoiled most, if not all of it. But like, man, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, watch this flick. It's so good. We did all the th- uh, the thank yous up top. We gave you the email address. Um, guys, it is so so good to see both of your faces at the same time again. At the same it's, time, it's, it's good to see your face and my husband's face. Yeah. Hi. Yeah, how so really really fast just for the listeners who are our personal friends and who care how and we did Carl and I did an update so that was pretty recent but now that I've got you both here really fast cuz Carl's I can see that you're asleep. But um Yeah, I'm I'm hurting. It's okay, super fast. How how are you guys holding up? How are you doing? It's day 7 today. I know ob- like <laughs> obviously it's yeah. hard and horrible and shitty but you, how are you holding up? How are you doing? A quick update. Carl, you look good. Carl- Carl's I'm first. good. I'm just I'm sleep, I'm just sleeping a lot because I have to. Right. And right. Uh, if yeah, I'm. It's fine. I'm more than halfway through it. It's just I'm ready to be over. I'm just ready to be done with it. I get it. It's good, man. That's good. That's You're it. doing good. Um, Danielle, how are you um, doing? I'm on day six of right. fourteen okay. of my quarantine away from Carl, and I hate it. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good I hate, that it. hate it. I especially when he's not well. Right. Um, yeah, of course. Um, it sucks. But yeah. Um, but it'll all be it'll all be good. Hell um, yeah! Can you imagine, second... Carl, if Danielle had been like, I'd been like, no. How about you, Danielle? She's like six day vacay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, you get a girl. <laughs> no, I it it sucks. I, it's not. It won't be the worst thing I've ever done, but I don't like 
not being with my human, especially when he's not well. Of course. Um, I still feel fine. Uh, my second test results came back yesterday and I'm still negative. Excellent. Okay, good. I'm still negative. Um, which kind of made us all breathe a little bit more. Sure. And I will take another test or two before I go back to work on the fifth. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Excellent. Well, I'm going to let you guys both go. Danielle, you should probably get, get on that brisket. Um, Carl, you go to sleep. Yep. Guys, I'm going to love... go take a nap for about six hours. Good. <laughs> All right. We love you guys so much. Um, we'll get on the texts and figure out when we're going to be able to record Midsummer Episode Perfect. 2. Listeners, thank you all so much for listening. Oh, get some magic in your lives and t- do, just get, get down with Ari Aster. He's doing the best work in the biz. Do it. All right. We love you all. We'll catch you next time. Um, bye-bye now.